0: On this episode of Wild in the Streets, we're looking at one of the most brutal and controversial Eurocrime movies of the 1970s. It's 1974's Almost Human. Cominciamo. Wild in the Streets, a deep dive into the Eurocrime films of the 1970s and beyond. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the rabid dog, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam?
1: Uh, I don't feel so rabid. I
0: feel like more of a laid-back dog today, you know? But, I I could still bite, but I don't feel the urge to bite. You're like the laid-back Beck in our Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man podcast.
1: Yes, that's exactly right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to hear that you're feeling laid-back. You know, I feel like a lot of people are feeling very tense as we enter into the, uh, the final act of the year 2021. Uh, understandably,
1: Doug, um, I don't want to date us in any way, but, uh, we're definitely at the point just before the apocalypse, so if you're Uh listening to this post-apocalypse, then that'll, (laughs) that'll help you know where we're at here, um, but yeah, it's, things are getting worse in a lot of places, Uh, Sure, a lot Mm -hmm. of bad things are happening, um, but I do get to a state where, I'm so focused on the minor disasters of my own life that I can't put the energy into the larger disaster of the world. Right. Um, I do have a certain amount of anxiety about safety right now um, as a, as a diabetic, you know, but sure. other than that uh, concern and the general anxiety of like, I'm 42 years old and I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Uh, I think, I think I've, pretty good. It helps that we just got done with a staycation.
0: Right. You you were un- initially going to be going on a trip, but you felt that that was unwise because of the recent rise in COVID cases. Correct. So you, your family decided to stay home instead. And was that a relaxing experience for you?
1: I mean, you know... The... Has
0: anything been a relaxing experience for you in the last 10 years? No, no. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yes and no. It it was relaxing to some extent. It is true. Part of the fun of going home, uh, and, and I don't just mean this in the cynical parent way, but also in a positive way for them, was that uh, Maeve was going to stay with my parents. You know, we were going to get a hotel for just me and Susan, and Maeve was going to stay with her momo oh. and pop pop mm. and momo and pop up were over the moon and in fact as much as i miss my friends at home like i'll see them at some point the real tragedy is that my mom wants to see her grandchild very right. badly mm-hmm. and so that's really the thing that like brings out my emotions and makes me sad about missing the trip but what it meant was so the reality is we didn't have daycare this week that's why it was the week to go on vacation so um It helped that we forced ourselves to make this an actual vacation. A lot of times when Maeve has off from daycare, the reason it's difficult is because we're both trying to do work. And so it's like, who's going to abuse our child while we're both trying to work? So it being vacation was like, good, because we got to do fun stuff. But I think because it was vacation, there's a little bit of a feeling of like, every day should be fun. And sure. that's just exhausting. So we we had to find that balance of like, today we're going to go to the zoo. And now in the afternoon, we're going to take a nap because we need it. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's just fi- figuring out those things, which, you know, aren't – difficult but it can make what is meant to be relaxing feel a little less relaxing and especially when for me the most relaxing thing would be to like watch a movie in quiet or to like Read a book in the quiet, and like you don't get quiet with a four year old, that's just not the reality. So instead, it's like, how can we balance fun without wearing ourselves out and wearing her out? And it, we did a good job, you know, there's the zoo, we went to the beach. Uh, for people who don't know, Chicago is on the lake, and so it has a lot of like lakeside beaches that are a lot of fun. And we went to a friend's block party, which was great because it was no work on our part, and there were lots of kids for Maeve to play with. Yeah, it was it was fun, and also like. Uh, where I live is very nice, Doug, but it's not the sort of neighborhood that has block parties. You know what I mean? Right. It's a little too, like, nose in the air, new muddy sort of place. Mm-hmm. So going to the actual city and seeing, like, uh, people have a block party, like, have a, have a fucking community was, like, pretty cool. Uh yeah. and, and, again, not that my town is bad. People here seem pretty nice. But uh, there's only a few places near here where people would actually shut down a street and get, like, uh, a hydrant open and do fun stuff, you know?
0: Right. No, I saw it in the Heights. I know how these things work. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Fuck. (laughs) Liam, uh, we're here today to talk about a film called Almost Human, directed by Umberto Lenzi. Now, this is a director that I was pretty familiar with from my uh, days watching horror and exploitation movies in the 1990s. What are your thoughts on this director from what you've seen of him? Um, I know that a lot
1: of what he's known for is like... Uh, trash. Yeah, let's just... I'm glad you. I, I'm glad you said it, because I didn't want to come off like I'm judging him. But, like, you know, uh, not a lot of people who love art horror love Ghost House. You know what I mean? Like, that's not... there. There's a certain kind of audience for some of the movies he's done. But I knew going in that one of the things he's kind of known for is playing in a lot of different genres to various levels of success. And so, you know... Um, I'm a big like Nightmare City fan, which right. I guess is trash, but to me is not trash. You know, let's put it, <laughs> let's put it this way, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's sure. it's it's enjoyable top to bottom in my, in my mind. Um, uh, I've never seen there's some things I've never seen of his like Nightmare Beach. Um, but one of the things I hadn't gotten to see specifically, like I've, I've managed to catch some of his later exploitation and certainly a big chunk of his horror movies, I had never gotten to see any of, any of his Eurocrime films. And I knew that he did a few that people talk about a lot, including this one, uh, which the English name is almost human. Do you know what the name is in Italian? I, I yeah,
0: don't. I do, actually. I have it translated in our little document here. It, it basically like literally translates, so the, the name is... And the, forgive my pronunciation is milano odia la polizia non puro sparare which basically means milan hates the police cannot shoot <laughs> this movie by the way is also known as the death dealer in a lot of circles in fact i think it's its main name on the internet movie database so i mean my man did your crime he did sword and sandal he did fucking westerns you know and you're a spy as well yeah, yeah. And, the, and and you know in in terms of his influence, one of the genres he really kicked off, which you can't say that about a lot of these directors that uh, they were kind of um, people who, who dabbled in so many genres, was the cannibal genre because he directed Man from Deep River, which right. is basically the right. movie that kicked off that genre. I remember seeing Man from Deep River on VHS, just picking it up because it was the only time i had ever seen one of these cannibal movies in like a video store, picking it up and I thought it was terrific. I was like, this is so entertaining. But then if you delve further into that genre, especially even going into Lindsay's later cannibal movies uh, like Eaten Alive and particularly Cannibal Ferox, those things get pretty goddamn rough.
1: Oh, I hate him, actually. Yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. not a it's not a genre I, I enjoy. But I mean, even talk about like he has the Westerns like um, pistol for a hundred coffins, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean just thinking about him transitioning from pistol for a hundred coffins to paranoia uh, or uh, known by its other title Orgasmo, you know what I mean? <laughs> I I think that's really interesting, and and I get that not all these movies work, you know. Like mm-hmm. there's a reason not a lot of people talk about sacrifice, or not a lot of people talk about Spasmo or Eyeball or whatever. But some of his movies really do work, and I think we're going to talk about one today that his, It's clear that his background is really extreme exploitation sort of stuff. I think that sure. comes across in this movie. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, this is one of the movies that fucking, for me, works. It, it really sings in its own way. Um, and it's hard to say that about some of his other movies, which maybe are like Eaten Alive, which I think is not a movie I want to watch again anytime <laughs> soon. Or Cannibal... I mean, I think Cannibal Ferox is maybe a crime, honestly. Um <laughs> But but the, to me, that's part of what makes him an interesting director and, like, an underappreciated – I mean, you know, as far – as well as I do, there are people for whom Umberto Lenzi is Ghost House and Nightmare City. And that's yeah. fucking it. And they haven't watched or tried to watch anything else. And, like, for me, that's – I don't know. I just think there's a lot of interesting stuff here. And, granted – I'm prepared that some of this interesting stuff is going to be bad. You know, that the title is going to be sick because let's, let's be clear English titles alone. One of the more interesting filmographies of the time period, just some of these Mm. titles are insane. Just, just fun. It promises something that probably can't fucking deliver, but, uh, But that's fun for me. I want to check those things out. I don't know. I'm not trying to be too wishy-washy here for people. um, But so far, of the things I've seen that he's directed, which is not a huge chunk, but it is a chunk, I enjoy all of it, even the stuff that I'm like, this is kind of bad, with the only (laughs) real exception of Cannibal Ferox, which I think might be a
0: crime. Uh, I I do want to kind of push against – maybe something that, that, that is not really a prevailing thought anymore, but something that I, I certainly used to hear, which is the idea that a lot of these Italian directors at this time, that includes people like Lucio Fulci, that includes people like even Dario Argento, uh, that a lot of these directors were chasing trends, right? I mean, that's part of the deal of being an Italian right. director in the mainstream at that time, is that you are chasing these trends, as you already mentioned, Sword and Sandal, Euro Spy, etc., Spaghetti Western. And I think that what this movie reinforces is the idea that you can still make interesting art while you're chasing trends that you can still do things that are unique and fun and I mean this movie isn't that much fun necessarily but sure you can do the things within the limitations of these trends that 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 they're still kind of lasting I mean it's one of the things we talked about on one of our recent podcasts about Dario Argento's Giallo Uh the idea that you know he, he 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 wasn't a trend chaser necessarily with the bird with the crystal plumage. That was a movie that kind of kicked off things, even though it was in the wake of Mario Bava. But I mean, you know, it's not like the he, Dario Getto was a um uh like a child of Bava's films. So there was a direct throw line there. But the success of the Bird with the Crystal Plumage kicked off dozens and dozens of imitators, but a lot of them are great. I mean a lot of them are shit, right, but a lot of right. them are really, really interesting and good, even if they were good in the in the um Wake of trying to imitate, but what I wanted to talk about here, Liam, even though it sounds like you have something to say, and let's hear what you have to say first.
1: Well, I just what you're describing, Doug, is one of the underlying sort of meta thoughts that go into the whole project of Cinepunks, Right? We've talked about this before, sure. In 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 a term that I don't maybe isn't useful. I need to find new language. But I, you, we, me, and Josh first start talking about it in high art versus low art, and the idea that the, that distinction is pretty irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But I, ex- I expand that even broad- more broadly. A-, a term I use a lot that maybe people are somewhat unfamiliar with is the idea of alchemy. You know, that that alchemy comes from a place of trying to combine two things that seem like they are opposites. And those two things are science and magic. It sure. was legitimately saying, we know something about science, and we think we know something about magic. Let's just squish these two things together and, and figure something out. And for the most part, obviously, literal alchemy didn't work out for anyone. However, I think there is an alchemy when it comes to creative and interhuman interactions. And the alchemy that I'm talking about in this case is just because the motivations for something is cynical greed doesn't mean the outcome is a negative thing that, and and it's, this isn't just with Italian films. Think about horror films. How many horror films could you, if you were really cynical about look at and go, this is some asshole who saw this other movie make money (laughs) and was like, let's just get the dumbest, cheapest version of this thing. But because of the low expectations, it allowed space for creatives who otherwise weren't going to get that fucking chance to do something amazing, you know? I would argue the same thing happens uh in the early days of like punk and hardcore that musicians who would otherwise not have gotten the opportunity to play music got to play on these rough, raw, crazy records and discovered they were really good at it and then went on to do Fucking amazing projects that were far beyond the scope of that original thing that they were doing, but it's like the door that they got into, right? When it comes to this Italian stuff, like, yeah, obviously there are trends that are influencing stuff and influencing where the money money goes, but that doesn't mean that the directors or the scriptwriters or the cinematographers or the actors are all hacks to assume that that because of you know well you only get doing this to make money therefore no one here has any talent it just ignores that we're all living in capitalism and oftentimes creative people have to do what the fuck they have to do to eat you know that's just the the reality and sure maybe it would be better if that wasn't the reality but historically speaking I am never turned off by something that is a cynical cash grab until I know that it is is also not creative because <laughs> y- you know what I mean because sometimes those things are actually like a, a great example, I always bring up to people is Stage Fright. You know, Stage Fright is a film that is clearly influenced by a million other films. It's also a great film. It's it's fucking great. I love it. And uh, now, and, which stage
0: which Stage Fright are you referring? to? Oh, a
1: Stage Fright Aquarius or whatever. Yes, of course. Yeah. It clear the the movie lives in the shadow of twenty other movies. Right? Doesn't matter.
0: It's a great movie. Hmm. And I mean, I guess it would be very hypocritical for us to. As fans of genre cinema, as fans of exploitation cinema, I mean, you were referring to it just a moment ago. In the wake of Halloween how many, I mean, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of films, some of which are classics in their own right, and are beloved by you know friends of ours and ourselves in some cases, that they just wouldn't exist without it, and it's only the creation of that trend that allowed those things to exist in the first place. Uh, And I I feel like that with these Italian directors, it just happens to be that they're very kind of concentrated time periods, right? It's like two years of this, one year of this, two years of this, and Lindsay's career kind of of, uh, speaks to that. Now, the film that we're gonna be talking about today also speaks to something that we discussed on the very first episode of wild in the streets which is regarding our concerns about the films that may have uh, come out in the wake of dirty harry now this is a film that seems influenced by dirty harry in some way speaking of almost human here um and whether like that film there's an interpretation that it is a fascistic film that it's about sure. that police officers should have uh, more freedoms and more power to um to use brutal force, sudden fury against uh, criminals because they're getting away with things, criminals, you know, the the law, the system works to protect criminals and to keep the police from doing their jobs. That is something that seems reinforced in almost human. We're going to talk a little bit about that when we talk about the movie Proper, but is that something that you felt while watching this kind of echoes of Dirty Harry?
1: No. Um And I'm not saying that because it's not there. I'm just saying, for me, it wasn't on my mind. Um, I think I went into this already excited, knowing Umberto Lenzi, but also knowing um, that of the... Euro crime films that he did, which I don't know that there's a lot of them, you know? Uh, but this is one of the ones I hear talked about a lot. In yeah. fact, I would have called it a whole... If someone had asked why we were doing this podcast before we started doing it, this movie's on the list. I wanted to watch this movie. Um, sure. And so I think maybe that excitement maybe put some rose-colored glasses on my eyes, so I wasn't too concerned with some of the larger political questions therein. I also felt like the movie wasn't about... It's really easy for an American audience to say, oh, Henry Silva... Let's focus on him and his weird <laughs> jawline. This movie doesn't really give a fuck about him, actually. It's,
0: it's so strange. I mean, we will talk about him as well. But what an odd role. I mean, an odd role yes. for a number of different ways. He kind of... I think he, i get he was cast at the last minute. But it was like this movie has no interest in the police side of things whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is... Let's, let's just say that uh, the term Eurocrime is not a, a perfect term. There is no perfect term for anything, but sure. Eurocrime is not a perfect term. Some of these movies that we will watch as Eurocrime films are cop dramas. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, and let's be clear, too. The other term that maybe is a better term that people use is uh, Polizia Teci, right? We've used yeah. that as well. Yeah. Um, you could maybe say that some of these movies are better described as Polizia Tetschi films because they're about the workings of the police, both positively and negatively. And other films are better described as hero crime films because the police are just part of the world of crime and they're not as important as the criminals. Um I don't know that that distinction will work overall. I haven't watched enough of these movies to say that there is a distinction worth making there, but that's how terms work. You don't know if a term is worthwhile till you do more research. Um, that being said, this movie is about the criminal, and, and Henry Silva's just there so that someone interesting <laughs> is the cop, so that the cop scenes are interesting, because for the most part – he doesn't do a whole lot till the end of the movie. We just he's just there to remind us that cops are paying attention and want to stop them, but it's not the point of the film. The point of the film is this psychopath going bloodlusty over time.
0: I do think that at the very least the cop element is meant to, you know, reinforce that thing I said, which is the idea that that the reason that criminals like this can do what the criminal does in this movie is because cops are not given the power to stop them from doing it. I don't know if the movie cares that much with it. It seems more interested in just reveling in some of the horrible things that this person does. Yes, yes. I do see echoes of the Scorpio character from Dirty Harry in uh, the Thomas Million character sure. in Almost Human. Sure, um, But almost like taken to an extreme, not a comical extreme necessarily, but almost taken to an exploitation movie. Extreme. This, uh, there are elements in this movie that feel like they're right out of Last House on the Left, and I yeah. think that's an intentional reference as mm-hmm. well. Um, that I mean, we talk about trends. It's like, well, let's like take what's popular and combine it all together. It doesn't. I feel guilty almost that I still was so entertained by it as I was watching it, knowing that the politics behind it. Again, I know Lindsay described himself as an, an anarchist, as opposed to conservative in any way. Right. But I don't see anarchy in this outside of the idea that we have this anarchaic figure at the at the core of almost human.
1: Oh, I disagree. I would say I see a lot of anarchy in this mm. because I here. This is the thing I think you're not seeing per se, which is that Dirty Harry works because the audience is meant to love Harry, right? Like even in his awfulness, you he's still the hero. Henry Silva's not a hero. He's a fucking stooge in this yeah. movie. That mm-hmm. character is a stooge. The point here is the corruption of violence, and the point here is, honestly, like any exploitation movie, to give the people what they want, which is more <laughs> gross blood. And so, in a sense, the anarchy of this thing is, is for me at least, I don't, I don't want to make claims about Lindsay. Who knows? Maybe he just saw this as a job. But the vibe I get is... Um, the system sucks you know the system has to go because it's not protecting anyone and a monster like this can do it also if i'm going to demonstrate how the system sucks i'm going to make my fucking money here cuz this is what people want to i mean they get not just lots of blood and shooting but nudity too like everything that people want here that the gross audience wants is in the movie and for me the excess of that is part of why this movie feels ridiculous and and fun in a way even though it's super dark and super gross there's a part of me that's like yeah but none of this is real this is a this is a this is a caricature and none at least for me there were almost no moments where i'm like ooh this is a little too close to reality i don't know nothing really felt real to me in this thing
0: and that was easier for me as an audience member I mean, I think that's fair enough. We will talk about it more after this break when we come back in 1975's Almost Human.
1: Not since Psycho, Clockwork Orange, and Death Wish, has there been a motion picture that will force you to sit through such stark brutality and moral abuse. You will be fascinated and spellbound by the bizarre terror of a man without a heart, without a soul, without a conscience.
0: A DEATH DEALER. Do you remember how they treated the other people that were hanging in the house? Now look. Let me tell you something. You cannot deal with these criminals. If you pay them, your daughter is as good as dead. She's finished. (laughs) He raped a girl, killed 12 men, stole a million dollars, and loved every minute of it. The Death Dealer. A small-time homicidal maniac kidnaps the daughter of a rich man, prompting a hardened detective to work outside the law to pursue him. It's 1975's Almost Human, a.k.a. The Death Dealer, a.k.a. Milano Odia, La polizia Non Puo, Sparare, uh, which, uh, as we already mentioned, uh, translates to Milan hates, the police cannot shoot, directed by Umberto Lenzi, who you also might know from Man from Deep River, Cannibal Ferox, *Eaten Alive, some of the other films we mentioned in the first segment, and written by Ernesto Gastaldi, uh, the writer of a number of notable Italian genre classics like All the Colors of the Dark, Torso, the Western, The Grand Duel, also a collaborator with Sergio Leone on things like My Name is Nobody. Uh, film historian and critic Tim Lucas describes Gastaldi as the first Italian screenwriter to specialize in horror and thriller films. Uh, this film stars Thomas Milian as Julio Sacchi and Henry Silva as Inspector Walter Grandi, uh, as well as some other familiar faces from the genre at the time period, including Anita Strindberg and Lori Belly uh, And Laura Belli, I should say, um, as Marilu Porino. Uh, On its initial release, it was condemned, this film, Almost Human, was condemned by Italian film critics as fascist and reactionary, as we already talked about, and we will again. But let's start, Liam. What did you think of Almost Human? I wouldn't say I
1: love it, but I like it a lot. It is, uh, when it comes to this brand of nihilistic crime film, it's really satisfying. Um, I, I, I can hear why people might think of it as fascist, Um, I think, if anything, it could appeal to, in some sense to fascists, Uh, but I think, in a way, the reason people might think it's fascist is because it's like, well, the only answer to violence is violence, right? But in my mind, Doug, it appeals to fascists because every fascist who's out here saying that they are an upholder of the law, whether that's literal cops or Proud Boys, they all want to be the depraved criminal, actually that like what's actually fascist about this is a man enjoying being violent because that's what actual fascism is it's not actually upholding the law or imposing order it's admitting that you like to be cruel and being cruel on purpose for funsies and 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 literally for boners um, and and that's what this movie is. It's a movie about a guy who has a boner for blood. He gets it by mistake. He really shoots a cop because he's a coward. Uh, but once he <laughs> shoots that cop because he's a coward, and by the way, I actually found that part of the movie really instructive. Right, he's rejected by his fellow criminals when he shoots the cop for being a coward. Right, that violence against the system.
0: Ups the stakes, right? We even learn later that they've been paying off the cops specifically because they don't... like. They even say it's like, you know, the payoffs are worth it because the cops really don't hassle us.
1: Yeah. And so, like, in those ways, I think it's a little too critical. The The fascism has to pretend that some aspect of the system works because that's what they're upholding when they're actually getting their rocks off hurting people. And so this movie, in a sense... If you were super extreme about it, you could make the suggestion. And I don't think this is true. I think the movie's this way for for just the sake of making an extreme movie. You could actually read this movie as a critique of fascism. Because all the fascists want to be Henry Silva, who eventually does enjoy violence at the end because it's his only recourse for this criminal that he is too incompetent to do anything about in in reality. Uh, But in reality, fascists are actually the main character. They are the criminal. They are the one who's like, found some excuse to hurt people. Now, granted, his excuse is more selfish. Fascists usually need something more noble uh, to justify their violence but uh, you know that's all smoke and mirrors it's not real they the the, the joy is in the hurting and so uh, uh in that way you know i think it could be a criticism of fascism i don't think it's meant that way i think in reality it's just these movies were starting to gain traction they he's influenced by american movies like dirty harry as, as we already talked about and he's just going to push the envelope, and scenes, and, and I do think it's true that while there are very extreme scenes here, there's also uh, times where he doesn't show us exactly what's happening, that there's like a cutaway from some of what's going on, and, and, and I think it employs both tactics here, um, but really, it, in its extremity, I think it's meant to be tantalizing. I don't think it's actually meant, at, at least in my reading, as a political statement. Really, I think it's right. just because mm-hmm. of the nature of what it's doing. It's hard not to read that into it, and so I, I don't think the folks who saw this movie and immediately were like, "This is a reactionary fascist film." I don't know that they're wrong. I just think it's more likely that um, that Lindsay didn't give a fuck.
0: You know, I think th- I think a lot of the fascistic tendencies come from its imitation. Of dirty harry right sure that it comes from its source material it comes from what it's trying to imitate as opposed to what it actually wants to be which is a very entertaining and very extreme in some ways crime film that focuses almost entirely on the criminal rather than the 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 police at its core i did find it very entertaining i have to admit i really was engaged and the reason i was is because this is a one-man show this is thomas millian's show the entire time i want to ask you liam did you watch the dubbed or subtitled Version, or sorry, I should say the English dubbed or the Italian dubbed version.
1: I watched the Italian dubbed version for most of the film towards the end of the film. I had to do some things uh, while the movie was on, and I was worried I was going to miss something, right. so I switched to the English dub, but I left the English subtitles on because that allows so for people who don't know. If you have options of different dubs and subs, sometimes putting the English on but leaving the English subtitles on is great because it allows you to notice when the English dub is varying wildly from the plot of the original <laughs> film because it, inevitably the English subs are for whatever their are languages. So I've done this for... Martial arts movies, when you do it for martial arts movies, it's great because almost always the English dub is not directly related to the plot of the original language. Sure. So you get a truly psychotic experience of different names, different motivations, all that sort of stuff. In this movie, it wasn't that extreme, but it was kind of fun. But that was only for, like I said, the last 15, 20 minutes I I switched. For the most part, I went with the Italian, and and I'll straight up say that's because of our man. You know, our, our our main dude, he was. I'm assuming that was him doing his own dub. He's it, just really was, compelling.
0: I would say it's very unlikely that he was doing his own. Oh, dub. Oh, damn! Well, then whoever and, did and,
1: the dub was also compelling,
0: as well as his
1: his acting and, in the film. And and
0: I hate to say this as well, Liam. I believe he's speaking English throughout the entire film. Thomas Milian was Cuban and and oh, spoke English Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, fluently. I think he's speaking English in the film, and his English dubbed voice is not his voice either. Uh, I was right. watching some recent- That was recent. a little more obvious. When the English yeah. dub
1: came on, it was like, well, it also, I don't think, was Henry Silva his own voice? I, don't I believe he Henry
0: Silva does do his own voice really? in this movie, even though he is absolutely terrible <laughs> in oh, this yeah.
1: film. He's never been more wooden, I think, yeah. in the film.
0: I think it's just because he's so uncomfortable with playing a good guy. I I don't think of right. him in these kind of heroic uh, roles and he doesn't envelop a dirty harryish sensibility in the way that he plays this role. Uh so it's just it does feel very wooden. There's something a little off on the English dub in general that just feels like they they recorded it in like this yeah. giant room or something. It feels very yeah, unnatural. If, if I had
1: to recommend it would always be the Italian for this one. I think sometimes the English dub On films can be fun you know like there it it could be interesting i'm not someone who's like subs always subs never listen to the dub especially with, with some things where the dub is 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 fun it has its own thing but i will say like in a movie like this I just preferred the Italian a lot more, and you're right. Like I'm, I shouldn't make the assumption that anyone is doing their own dubbing in an Italian film. That's silly. That's naive of me. But I will say that whoever did the dubbing, at least for that character, was compelling as a voice actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it worked. It, it it was. I really was bought in, and and that's as someone who doesn't speak the language. But y- you know, you emote something when you're listening to it. So I don't know. I I really liked that aspect of the film, but oh man. Hen- Henry Silva is not. As I will say some of the other people. His uh, it, so so uh, Julio's uh, girlfriend, uh, Ioni, uh, played by Nia Strindberg. I I love her. Like I thought yeah. she was really great. She's a sad character
0: in a lot of ways. She's too. asked to do
1: something impossible. Yeah. Because she, how does she have affection for this man who's clearly a scumbag? So it's like she has to. Be endearing enough that we care about her, that we don't want bad things to happen to her, but also believably be in a relationship with this monster. Um, Even when he acts... I mean, at the beginning of the film here, let's just say, too, we probably should have said at the very beginning... um, content warnings all over this movie it's not just violence you know i i'm even not even inclined to give content warnings for violence like obviously there's violence it's a movie where people shoot at each other but oh no the my man is is an assaulter and he wants to assault everybody he can and uh and so you know people should go into this knowing that uh, uh there, there's some real trigger yeah. possibilities here absolutely and he in the in what was that the first scene with her he basically assaults her you know yeah. mm-hmm. um and and of course he's in a relationship with her so it's more complicated than you know whatever but there's still- also a
0: suggestion as you see in some of these 70s movies that that though she's resistant at first once she gives in she actually enjoys it which again is just one of those gross gross things that we see in a lot of these films.
1: I mean, if it went on for longer or is more explicit, it might've made this movie less fun for me, you know, like I'm very entertained by it. uh, And I, and I'm not as sensitive to this as obviously other people are often for, you know, very good reasons. Uh, But I am a little sensitive to it. So that scene specifically, I thought if this goes on much longer, I'm going to not like this movie as much, you know, because I think, outside of those moments a lot of his awfulness it feels like uh, a caricature it feels like extreme and and crazy to the point where i'm not worried about the morality of it you know i'm i'm watching this dude chew up the scenery and be crazy but there's just something so particularly gross about um Sexual violence that the even though there's not a ton of it on screen when it is there it really made me
0: uncomfortable. Sure, I think that's very reasonable. I should mention by the way that I watched the English dub the entire way through, um, and Whoa. yeah, I, and I probably will for most of the movies that we're watching here. And there's a really good reason for that, which is that I don't really differentiate when it comes to Italian movies of this time period. I do think that you are right, and there's probably more care taken in the Italian dub. Sure. Um, my hope is sometimes that some of the actors that they have intentionally put in to appeal to US audiences like, not in this case Thomas Millian, but maybe someone like Henry Silva, or, and we'll talk about the film that we're going to cover on the next episode, which has an actor that I'm a big fan of, that will actually hear some of their voices and an actual performance from them within it. But I am very curious about the dubs in this case. And when I watch, it's the same when it when it comes to the gialli of this time period. When I watch Deep Red, I always watch the English dub. I like David Hemming's performance in that film. Yeah, I it, agree. It, there's always going to be a bit of a trade-off, right? The fact is, most of the actors are Italian because it's in Italy, made by Italian filmmakers and Italian right. writers, but it's there's no perfect solution, right? It's just like when when well, you watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, I imagine most of the people listening to this still watch the English dub of that.
1: Well, I think also if you've watched enough of uh, these Italian films, certain voices in the English dub become familiar to you. There's like one voice. A gritty American voice. I'll have to find it sometime and point it out to you. I've never been able to figure out who it is like who's doing that voice? Because it's I've seen it on like twenty different characters, from Fulci movies to uh Leone movie. You know, it's like this voice and it's so particular that when I hear it I go, That's that guy. Now, is is that also an actor I've seen his face before? I don't know. I have no idea because that's the reality of these dub movies. Who
0: knows whose voice you're hearing?
1: You do know, you know what I mean? I also
0: like, I also love the idea that when it comes to certain actors, the same person like a person gets famous being the dubbed voice of right. that actor right. in different countries right it's like he is the guy who always dubs Clint Eastwood in Italy he's the guy who always dubs like Robert Downey Jr. in Germany that sort of thing I just love that that people associate a voice with a face even though those two people might not even have ever met each other before
1: yeah, I think it's a little more codified today, though. Like, mm. I, at least for me, and I haven't done, surely someone out there will be able to help me do the research to figure this out. But I've tried to do like light research to be like, who is this guy I keep hearing and I haven't been able to figure it out. So if someone knows. Uh, a good easy way to find out all the dub actors on a particular recording. Let me know because uh, I haven't been able to find it yet. But again, it's it's not a huge commitment, but it's something where, you know, for this for this thing that we do, Doug. Sometimes I look for consistencies, like things that have come up a few times, because I think, is that interesting enough to do a show about? So like I've heard this dude's voice on so many different movies, and I'm like, what if we did a show where we just watched every movie that this guy dubbed? That would be fucking sick.
0: (laughs) I always think back, whenever I think about dubbed voices and the repetition of them, my brain always goes to Shaw Brothers films of the 70s, right? And particularly the voice actor who dubbed Gordon Liu in 36 Chamber of Shaolin, who must have done 500 movies. Amazing. At that time period. You yeah. hear them in every single, and you hear a lot of those voices repeated again and again. I think most of them are Australian actors because they were more accessible at that time period. But that particular voice, I so connect it with that time period, and honestly, Gordon Liu specifically in that time period, that it's hard to kind of disconnect my brain from those voices. It's like, that is his voice. If I saw it was like this balding guy in his, well, now what, 70s, 80s, at this point, it would be impossible for me to, actually, maybe balding wouldn't be a bad deal when it comes to Gordon Liu, because yeah. he was always bald, but it would just be hard for me to kind of uh, disconnect my brain in that way. I wanna go back to Almost Human, Liam, and talk about Thomas Milian a little bit more, because I really do think it's an extraordinary performance, and it speaks to something that we were just speaking about, which is that this is a performance that succeeds despite whatever limitations the dubbing has upon it, whether it be the Italian dub, whether it be the English dub. This is a very physical performance, a very glitchy performance. There's a lot of close-ups on, on his face twitching and things like that. But he's such a unrepentant scumbag in this movie. And... I mean, from the very moment that he connects up with other characters, you know he's going to betray them. From the very moment that they kidnap this female character, you know he's going to kill her no matter what. Like, There's no question that he's always going to do the worst thing possible. And there's almost something admirable about a movie <laughs> committing to something like that, where it's like, no, this character, is you're not going to appeal to his his humanity at the last moment. We're not going to get a flashback showing his childhood to make you sympathetic for him. This is a character you are supposed to dislike but revel in how much you dislike him and you know and again get some sort of kicks out of watching him do things that are just completely outrageous. It is a tour de force performance. Uh and and it really is what again, it's what I said at the beginning. It's what makes almost human the movie that people remember. It's always going to be Thomas Milian. Now, we've seen him already in one of the films that we've covered on the show as the police commissioner, in fact, in the very first film that we covered. Uh, and we're going to see him again, but I'm more familiar with him from Spaghetti Westerns uh, that I've seen him in a number of different roles sure. in those films, usually playing a, like a, a Mexican character, even though he was Cuban in real life. Did you have any familiarity with him as an actor outside of this?
1: I mean, he looks incredibly familiar, but I have not done the research to figure out where I sure. know I'm from. But mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's pretty common in these uh, a lot of these Italian films. There's a lot of actors I recognize from having watched a few things, but not being an expert. It's sort of the that's the last bridge for me, probably as a film fan, is to finally remember the names, not just of these like familiar American folks, but to really dive in on a lot of these uh, uh, act. It, it, let's call them international actors, because often they weren't Italian, right? But uh, right. Mm-hmm. but international actors who've done a lot of different kinds of films, because. I tend to do the stupid American thing of being like, "Oh yeah, that's some guy. He's probably Italian," and you know he's not. That he's not Italian at all. Or you know, you know, there's people from all over the world who were drawn to Italy and other European countries uh, to to be in spaghetti westerns, horror films, gialli, uh, and and I just write them off as all part of the same community. And I really should do the research to know more about
0: who they are. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it, it it's very fair to believe that he was Italian I mean he became an Italian citizen I think in like the late 60s sure. So I mean he 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 was a man of the world but like I said I I know him most from movies like The Big Gun Down and particularly Django Kill If You Live Shoot which is a he, he gives an incredible performance in that as well but yeah he's someone that we're going to see in a lot of other films but I will say that when I think of him as an actor the film i think of is lucio fulci's don't torture a duckling uh where he has oh yes 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 yes, yes, very different role than he has here in almost human uh liam do you have a favorite sequence in the movie one of the things that this movie kicks off is a lot of action uh there's a great car chase at the very beginning of the film any particular moments stick out to you
1: my my focus is to say the car chases because i feel like those It's so easy for me to be impressed by 70s car chases where uh, everyone is clearly in danger. There's no sense of safety at all. There's a real feeling of like, are you sure that's a good idea? That's easy for me to get excited about. What's weird to admit, because I do want to say that um, if someone is sensitive to the violence in a film like this, that they're not wrong and that they're probably being more human. Ironically, considering (laughs) the film, than I am. When he is just killing those folks in their those poor innocent people in their house, he's already assaulted them. He's got them hanging from the chandelier. It's just so over the top that, like, he gets this younger kid high, and then they all just murder everyone. That's really when the film for me started to be like it. It sounds it sounds disrespectful for me to say. I'm not sure I can take this seriously, but I mean it as like a maybe. This is fun, you know. It's sort of like when when people talk to my my wife, who people may or may not know. Listening, my wife is a pastor, and so she talks to a, a lot of people who maybe expect her to be a certain way. And in a lot of ways, she probably fulfills their expectations. But when she admits that one of her favorite kind of movies is a samurai film, right. which it is, she loves samurai movies, and people go, well, isn't that kind of violent for you? Her response is always like, yeah, but it's not like real violence. (laughs) You know, like that's why it's fun. Like when you see a guy get his arm chopped off and blood shoots out for almost three minutes, you know, I don't want to ruin your day or anything, but that's not realistic. You know what I mean? That's not a real thing. When this dude starts to become so evil that it feels like a performance of utter depravity – I'm sorry, That's it starts to get fun. And I know that's weird to say about a movie that's this dark and this intentionally cynical, but I think it starts to get fun, man. It starts to feel like, okay, we're just going for it here. He's just going to be the worst possible person. I mean, it's truly tragic when he drives his girlfriend into this lake, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's also something about like, yeah, that's what he would do. That's that guy. <laughs> there he is. He's doing it. So, you know, I, I don't want to say that the violence itself is enjoyable per se, but I think kind of echoing a little bit of what you said, the film is so committed to his total depravity, which, by the way, is rooted in his cowardice at first, right? He yeah. first makes the wrong decision because he's afraid. And then he's still afraid later. Like, I'm not saying he becomes brave, but he's able to overcome his fear to some extent because he just enjoys being bad so much he just I love I love how he loves it
0: he, he not only enjoys being bad but he knows enough about the system to work right. with yes. it so yes. so when when his girlfriend who he has murdered goes missing and he knows he's going to be uh, suspected of it he just goes into the police uh, he goes into the um, uh, the police office. The police station, I should say, and sits down. And he's like, Yeah, my girlfriend's gone missing. I'm really worried about her. And he plays like he plays up that he's this sensitive guy who's never been in any trouble before. And he completely, you know, exonerates himself to the point where only filthy old Henry Silva recognizes that this guy is probably responsible right. in some way.
1: Well, he, he nails – I think part of the irony of the film is he nails being a, a schlubby sad boy so hard because right. he was a – that is who he is too. He's a schlubby sad boy who learned that being cruel was actually <laughs> fun, i.e. every proud boy who's ever existed. So there so you go.
0: So I want to go back to that sequence that you were referring to a moment ago, the home invasion sequence, maybe the most memorable of the entire film. What happens in that is that we have Sachi and his two cronies. They are trying to kidnap this woman she uh gets away after they kill her boyfriend she runs into this house and that is when the games begin so to speak where uh the the three criminals uh take this this household of people hostage as you mentioned ties them up to a a chandelier uh, strips them naked i mean it, it is totally straight out of like an exploitation horror movie now this sequence also culminates in a very dark moment where uh, Sachi hears a sound upstairs, he shoots at a doorway, and we see a teddy bear fall down. We have realize that he has basically shot a young child, uh, even though we don't see the, the corpse of the child itself. We know that something horrible has happened. And realizing how far he's gone in that direction, his response is to get angry and just murder everybody uh, that has been tied up in the room and, and just become a kind of a mass murderer at once. Any other thoughts on this sequence outside of its depravity, Liam? I
1: mean... The idea that he, again, what's interesting here is that he has a moment when he kills the child of maybe realizing he's off the fucking hinge here. That he's gone over the top. There's this moment that maybe he could feel a little human. But, again, he protects himself. His murdering of them, as much as it is as an audience member, like, wow, this guy's really fucking lost it, is like... It's a self-protection thing. He hears in her voice what he truly is, and then he murders them. But I think in murdering them, it also allows him to accept what he's become. Because by the end, he's killing his partners. It's fun times for him. He doesn't give a fuck. Like, there's there's a, there's a a sense of – and I kind of said this off mic, so I want to return to this a little bit and mention it. I want to admit that the idea that one murder sends you down a path where suddenly you've become a bloodthirsty monster, th- there is a certain like morality tale aspect to that that I don't love. You know, like the movie could be a little more nuanced. And for some people, they're going to be like, oh, that seems kind of cornball, right? But I think by the time he's obviously killing people for fun, like when he murders his girlfriend.
0: He's having fun, man. He's stoked. He's, like, really excited about it. And he knows he's going to do it right from, right. The, like, their initial... Yeah, he, he 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 was primed and ready, and he's toying with her as he's leading up to do so it. So there is a kind of movie where we get a more
1: nuanced descent into evil, which I think could be useful because this descent into evil is ridiculous, and it's never going to happen this way, really. However... That's not what this movie is, and so because it's not what this movie is, I don't mind it. But there is a small part of me that's like, "Oh, he kills one cop, and all of a sudden he's like thirsty for blood." It's a little, it's a little silly. It's a little bit like that's not really how it works. That
0: sort of thing would be a little Moorish now that I think about it. Oh, you. (laughs) Liam, the the crux of this film is that Saatchi is is getting away with this, as we've already referred to, because he plays the system, because he kind of works within the system to a certain extent. He is being chased down by Inspector Walter Grandi, played by the great Henry Silva, a very distinctive-looking actor with his beady eyes and strong chin bones. Uh, You've already said you don't really care for his performance in this film. It's
1: just super. Wo- he doesn't seem comfortable, and I, you know, you could make the argument that the movie doesn't give him a lot of moments to seem cool. No, that maybe his most expressive moment is when he murders the guy at the end. But, uh, but I just think there's, I, I don't know. It's just, it wasn't it, it wasn't what I expected from him. But again, I, it, it could just be because he's playing a good guy. Uh,
0: this is from the uh, Italian crime filmography, which we refer to several times on this show, uh, in regards to to that character um, so it says Gastaldi's script takes a different route and gets close to a US grindhouse flick such as Last House on the Left in the torture scenes while the police commissioner an icy Henry Silva is a marginal character who doesn't have the dynamic emphatic screen presence of screen icons such as Franco Nero or Morzio uh, or Maurizio Mirel uh, i mean he really has no presence at all in this film and like i said on the english dub his performance is very wooden even outside of kind of his his He wears some uh, turtlenecks, which is kind of interesting in the film. Um, But what happens is he is on the trail of Saatchi. Eventually, he gets taken off the case. The the person whose daughter has been kidnapped, the rich guy, he's like, I'm just going to cooperate with these criminals, and they're going to let my daughter go. Henry Silva knows that that's not what's going to happen. So even though he's been taken off the case, he stops the guy from giving the ransom, takes the money instead so he's going to be like responsible so he can find out you know where Saatchi is stop it from happening and he is completely a failure Saatchi kills his the guy's daughter kills his partners and almost gets away with it entirely and kind of does get away with it and then the final scene in the movie is uh is is Walter Grandi Henry Silva's character he goes to where Saatchi's hanging out where he's drinking champagne and he just murders him in cold blood in the middle yeah. of the street knowing that he's the one who's going to have to pay for it because the system is so weak liam that you have to take things into your own hands in order for justice to be served though i would argue that if uh inspector walter Grandy was not such a shitty cop that maybe this wouldn't happen in the first place agree i also think there's meant to be
1: there's meant to be a sense of irony here in that like uh our man has always wanted to be a big man on campus you know what i mean like there's a lot of scenes in the movie of him bragging to people or him talking out of his ass, and here he is doing that same thing, and all these people clearly set him up. Like, they planned for him to get shot. Like, sure. everyone who he's pontificating to know exactly what's going to happen, and they, they set him up. Um, but, uh, but I don't know if it really plays that way. You know what I mean? I think that's what's intended, but I don't know if it comes across as strong as it could.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. Liam, would you give a recommendation... For people who are interested in Eurocrime or maybe just crime films of the 70s in general, would you recommend Almost Human?
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, I would always give people a little bit of a content warning when yeah. anything sexual assault related is in a film because I just, uh, that's tough. And I want people to take care of themselves. And if that's something that's going to make you uncomfortable, it's going to make you uncomfortable in this movie. And, and honestly... It made me uncomfortable. If it, if it was much more than what it was, I think I would at least like this movie a little bit less. Um, so I, I always want to put that out there. That being said, yeah, I think it's great. I think it really works. I think, obviously, if you're trying to use these movies to bring a case about the, the critical lens about the police... This might not work only because the police aren't the point of the movie. The yeah. point of the movie is this bloodthirsty loser who like literally until he starts killing people working the system is like the lowest rung on the ladder. And then via betrayal and violence finds himself briefly on top of the world until he also eats a bullet.
0: I think if you are a fan of 70s exploitation movies, this might sure, be a good yes. way to introduce yourself to the Eurocrime genre because it does kind of delve into those dark uh, situations and dark tone. And I mean, this This is a movie that basically takes the David Hess character from Last House on the Left, places him in a Eurocrime context, and just lets it play out as it would. And I think that if you're already a fan of those kind of movies, and maybe fan is a weird word to use, but if you already have some familiarity with those kind of movies, that this would be an easy in, because you'll see a lot of familiar stuff here. Uh, but yeah, strong recommendation for Almost Human. I... Was anticipating that I would like this movie, and I really did love it. But it is very much uh, the Thomas Millian show, and it makes me very excited to see more of him in the films that we're going to cover going forward. Speaking of movies that we're going to be covering, Liam, what are we going to watch on the next episode of Wild in the Streets?
1: Well, we're going to be checking out 1973's Revolver, a film that you know I am familiar with, and maybe other people will be familiar with because it features the Indomitable.
0: Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed and Fabio Testi star in 1973's Revolver, directed by Sergio Salima. We're going to be covering that on the next episode of Wild in the Streets. I'm really looking forward to it. As you said, I'm a huge Oliver Reed fan, and not just because of The Devils, but that is a movie that is one of my favorites. Uh, I don't know how he's going to transition into a Eurocrime-ish story. I know this is a movie that has a lot of uh, people who love it, so I'm really looking forward to checking it out. Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of Wild in the Streets or other podcasts, what's the what's the best way for them to do so?
1: Well, if they head over to CinePunks.com, that's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, they can find the latest episodes of this podcast as well as a whole family of shows, from Twitch of the Death Nerve to Horror Business to The Tomb of Ideas. They can also head over to our website, Cinemasmorgasbord.com, to dive into the archive of shows that we've done. We've done a lot of shows over a lot of different topics, covering everything from Steve Buscemi to international genre film to the works of Alejandro Jorowski. So uh, head on over to cinemasmorgasbord.com to check that out. Uh, They can also find us on social media. CinePunks is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. And we are specifically on Twitter, at CinemaSmorg, S-M-O-R-G.
0: You can also follow Liam on Twitter, at Liam Rules, that's R-U-L-Z, or myself. I'm also on there, at Doug underscore Tilly, that's T-I-L-L-E-Y. If you want to check out our full archive, go over to cinemasmorgasboard.com. You can also leave us some feedback over there. If you have suggestions for a theme you'd like to see covered on one of our shows, you can also uh, send us that through there or on our various social media platforms. But Liam, for now... We need to put away our Eurocrime brain for a little while. We'll be back very soon with 1973's Revolver. Good night.
1: Night night. <laughs>